The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this week, um, in the daily life practice retreat that we're doing, meeting mornings and evenings during the week, we've been exploring intention quite a bit. And on Monday evening, I talked about some of the ways that our larger intentions can inform our our lives and actually give us more of a connection with meaning and purpose in our lives. And so there's, there's kind of different levels of intention. There's the kind of the level of aspiration of, you know, what, what our wish what, for our heart, for our life is, kind of a, a, a the broader kind of aspiration in our lives. And then there's a, a level of, of kind of connecting with day-to-day um, the Buddha encouraged us to connect with intentions of kindness, of compassion, and of letting go. Today I'd like to explore a deeper level of intention, or maybe a more mm, moment-to-moment level of intention. This is the, the level of intention the Buddha pointed to that happens in the present moment, all intentions happen in the present moment, but, but kind of every single moment of our lives, every single moment, there is some kind of urge or impulse operating. And that urge or impulse to do, to act, to think, to say, uh, to speak, is connected with some kind of motivation. So there's an, there's an urge, and, and that was what I was pointing to a little bit in the, in the guided meditation at the end when I asked you to, to practice with stillness, uh, pointing to this, like, this moment-to-moment urge that we can sometimes touch into this, this uh, kind of impulse or um, intention to speak or act or even we can even sometimes recognize the intention to think or the intention to head in the direction of an emotion. And this is a, 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 a function in our mind that's happening all the time and usually we're not aware of it. And this, this, this impulse is connected with some kind of motivation and that motivation is often when we're not aware of, when we're not aware of those intentions the motivations that are connected to them are generally connected to our habits and our patterns, our, our conditioning. So when we're not clearly aware of, of these urges, then basically what's driving us, what's motivating us to act, what's motivating us to speak, what's motivating us to, uh, to move in a direction of a particular emotion is our... Um, Habits of mind, our conditioned habits of mind. So I'd like to explore that terrain with you a little bit tonight to begin to um, recognize the possibility that with mindfulness we can actually begin to touch into this, this level of experience. And the little guided meditation I did at the end was 
a taste of that perhaps for some of you. So I'm curious, I'm just curious, just a couple of people if you'd like to share. Um, Anything you noticed? Were you able to notice the urge to move before you moved? Even if you did move, I mean, even if you um, weren't able to not move and watch the whole urge kind of arise and pass away, even if you didn't, weren't able to do that, could you know that you were going to move before you moved? Just curious, raise your hand if you, if you had a sense of that. So quite a few of you. Could any of you see that urge like come and then not act on it, watch it pass? So that gives you a little bit of a taste of the... Um, the possibility for, uh, for seeing these impulses in our minds. We can, there is this impulse, this urge, before every action of body, speech, or mind. And this place of intention is essentially the place where our body and mind meet. Because we, we don't act. Most of, our, most of our bodily movement does not happen unless there's that intention to move. I think there's some, uh, some um, uh, exceptions to that, like the reflex reaction when you're hit on the knee with the, you know, the doctor hits your hits you on the knee there. It's like, that's not an intention of mind. I think that's more just the, the, the kind of muscles and uh, nerves kind of doing their thing. But most of our movements have this intention before we act. And this interconnection between body and mind, uh, you know, I think many of us are familiar with... Um, some relationship between what happens in our mind and what we do and we say. At least, certainly, um, before I started meditating, I was definitely aware that when I was angry, it tended to impact what I did, you know, what I said. I would, I would yell at people when I was angry. Um, and so we, we're aware that the, 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 what's going on in our minds will impact what's happening in our body. There's also the other direction that can happen, uh, that what, what we choose to do with our body consciously can have a rebound effect on our minds as well. And that direction is a little more, um, a little more interesting in some ways. And, and perhaps it's something that we, we, we don't necessarily trust because you know, we, um, we feel like if we're not acting from what we feel that somehow we're, we're, we're lying or something like that. But I, I'd like to, um, to propose actually that we can use this factor of intention of kind of in, you know, heading in the direction of cultivating a beautiful quality of mind, for example. So holding an intention to cultivate peace or patience. And even if we're not feeling that, we can um, incline our body in that direction. Act as if we were peaceful. Act 
as if we were a patient and begin to see the influence of that action on our minds. So I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but I just wanted to kind of lay out the, the terrain that this, this inner relationship between body and mind, the point of contact there is this, this factor or um, functioning of intention in our minds. So accompanying the intention, and, and I wonder too in that, in that exercise, did any of you notice when you recognized you were going to move? I didn't point you to this particularly, but did any of you notice that you might have had a sense of why you were going to move? Like what you, like, first of all, what you were going to do and maybe, maybe why you were going to do it. Do you want to say, you want to say? Yeah. Um, Pass the mic. Great. Hello. Yeah. Um, Why I usually move is because I have pretty bad neck pain. So you you noticed the the kind of the buildup of pain, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And then um, there was the urge to move. Mm -hmm. Did you move? No. You didn't? Uh Uh-huh. Not then. And did you see the urge arise and pass? Um, well, I thought it wasn't going to, but I said, I'll do the exercise anyway, you know, because usually it just feels like it's getting harder and harder and the neck like stiffens and stiffens and stiffens. But curiously, and this is actually really unusual, it, it kind of softened a bit, which was, it never does that. So that was weird. But then a couple of, I don't know, minutes later, then I moved my finger without even realizing. <laughs> well, and that, that does, that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like. different thing. Yeah. We can we can move without being aware of it, but I would I would I would say that there's probably a connection with the being curious about the intention to move and and not and I encouraged it not to be a rigidity, but just to like okay that's happening. Let's see if I can just be with that. Um, you know that that you saw the urge to move because of the the stiffness in the neck, but then you actually noticed that it released a little bit. The yeah, it never does that. that, <laughs> that, that, that this, may be, this may be something to, to be curious about. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Diane and then Beverly. Um, what I was noticing was that uh, because there's a, a major event happening in my life right now, there's a certain level of anxiety, and so I have been more fidgety in sitting wherever I sit, wherever and whenever. So I was trying to make a promise to myself that I was going to follow your direction. And then I would like feel like the inside of my foot kind of doing this little wiggle out here. And I thought, well, maybe if I just do the toe, she won't notice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it was like, as soon as I you know, really made the effort to just be with whatever it was, then it was like there was a strange pain in my stomach and I never get pain to my stomach. So it it was like it transferred somewhere else. Uh-huh, yeah, and yeah. So interesting to notice that. And, you know, again, I, it wasn't about trying to force a stillness. So, um, you know, if, if you, if you want to try it again, you know, and actually one thing that I encourage this particular exercise about um, 
is is you just some time when you have an opportunity uh, to sit and not have to get up at a particular time. Uh, just try um, try the exercise of sitting until the urge to get up, the strong urge to get up, comes over you. And then let that urge arise and pass. Sit through it. You know, it, it's okay if you fidget. I mean, it's, but, but just that urge to actually stop the sitting, to get up and, and walk away. Uh, so just, you know, just see if you can, like, ride that urge out. And most of the time, it's not going to last that long. It may last... I mean, it may feel like a long time, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, might feel like forever, but it, it probably won't last much longer than that. And so just ride it out and then see what happens on the other side of that urge. And then let the, you know, at some point, it may come quickly or it may come a little bit later, a second urge will come for you to say, oh, time to be done. And it may, may express itself like that. You know, it's like, time to get up. <laughs> Or it might feel like a, f- a feeling in the body. It can feel like a gathering of, of energy in the body. Let, that, let it arise again. Feel it the second time. The third time, let yourself get up. Um, and just explore what happens if that's how you uh, explore ending the sitting instead of you know just trying to hold yourself to a sitting for a particular length of time. I personally found that what happened when I did this, the first time I tried this, um, I, I thought I couldn't sit for any longer than 20 minutes. You know, I, I had my clock set and I would get up after 20 minutes and I was pretty fidgety after 20 minutes. So I thought that was it. I couldn't sit any longer than that. But I tried this exercise one day and I sat for 45 minutes the first time I tried. And I looked at the clock and I was shocked. It's like, well, I guess I can sit for longer than 20 minutes. So, you know, just to play with these urges, to play with, you know, play with that, getting familiar with that urge, you know. And, and as you notice that, you know, it, it can be also interesting and fun to recognize what is the reason that's associated with it. There's this kind of gathering of energy that says, gonna get up. But what's the reason? What's the motivation? Is it, is it um, you know, that you're feeling uncomfortable in the body? Is it that your mind has created an idea of something you want to do, something you want to go to? I mean, sometimes it's really interesting. I, <laughs> I used to recognize that early in my practice anyway, when I would be sitting uh, and, you know, the mind would like, you know, throw these things up like, it's the perfect time to clean the refrigerator. <laughs> Yeah, I could go do that right now. <laughs> so, so you know, it's just like, yeah, I don't really want to clean the refrigerator. <laughs> but, you know, so just see, what is it that the mind is, is kind of throwing up as the reason to end the sitting? And so if you, if you decide to play with this, you'll, you'll probably not only get to see this urge, but also get to see some of the possibility of seeing the motivation, the reason why the urge is there. And this is actually a big place, this understanding, not only that the urges happen, but the reasons for the urge, the motivation that's associated with the urge, is something the Buddha really pointed us to as a very powerful place to practice. Because essentially, you know, our, our lives are created in the present moment by these 
urges and the motivations. It's like our, the, the, the motivations, the intentions that are associated with these impulses are the shapers of our lives. They are the, it's like the, 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 the sculptor of our future life, how we are in this moment responding and uh, being motivated. So this, this the Buddha said um, in his first teaching in the Dhammapada, he said, all experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows like the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. And this, uh, what this is pointing to is every moment, in every moment, the, uh, the intentions associated with our choices, our actions, begin to shape us towards more reactivity, more confusion, more greed. If we are acting moment to moment out of greed, aversion, confusion, that's what will be shaped in our lives. And if we are acting out of peace, out of kindness, out of compassion, out of generosity, out of patience, out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, out of kindness, out of generosity, out of wisdom, that is what's going to be shaped in our lives. And so this, uh, the only place that we have any input into this shaping is in the present moment. Every moment there is a choice being made and every moment there's an intention associated with that choice. And in this present moment, there's an opportunity to recognize both the, uh, the intention or the urge, the impulse, and what that motivation is. And when we can begin to, uh, to notice that, begin to see that, we can um, begin to make different choices. We can begin to kind of steer our intentions in the direction of kindness, of compassion, of letting go. And not necessarily just be driven by our habitual kinds of intentions. And so this moment of choice is this moment, in the present moment, this moment, is a place where we have some ability to uh, guide our lives. The present moment is the only place we have that possibility. We can't redo the past and the future's not here. This moment right now, our choices right now, are the, the engine that is creating, is, that is the, uh, the process of heading us in whatever direction we are going, whether we're, whether we're choosing, whether our minds are acting from confusion, from hatred, from anger, from wisdom, from kindness. That is what's shaping us. 
if we are not present, if we're not able to, to make those choices consciously or be able to uh, kind of incline our minds in a, in a different direction, then most likely we are just reconditioning whatever habits and patterns we've grown up with. Some of those habits and patterns might have some skillfulness to them because, you know, many of us have been taught to be kind and to be polite and to be patient. And so some of that may be be operating habitually. But it's well worth our exploring being present in this moment. And this is one of the biggest benefits of being mindful, that it gives us a window into the present moment to be able to see the... uh, the moment of choice. Okay. This, is, this moment is a moment of choice. How do I step into the next moment? How do I choose to shape the next moment? So an example around this that maybe is um, something you could play with. It's... Um, one of the most powerful places to work with this aspect of intention is around speech. How many times, how many of us have said something that we wish we hadn't said? Yes? (laughs) It's uh, endemic in being human. And a lot of the time those, those, those um, things that we say, they kind of come out, out of habit. You know, it's like we're not really conscious or paying attention to what we're thinking or what we're saying. And it just kind of blurts out because we're not aware, we're not mindful. And so working with this aspect of intention around speech can be very powerful and interesting you could you can play with um, the first thing to play with um, is just seeing if you can pause for a moment before you speak that's hard enough in and of itself to just pause but if you if you can pause and I'll give you another option in a moment but if you can pause then essentially you have inserted, you know, if you can insert a pause before you say something, you have noticed the intention to speak because you have consciously said, oh, about to speak, don't speak. So in that pause, you have, you have noticed that intention to speak. And in that pause, very likely, you will know what you're going to say before you say it. And you may even know why you're going to say it. You may have a sense of the intention of what the, the motivation is. So th- this, this can be extremely powerful in, in seeing that, that moment of uh, about to speak. Just a, a brief pause, just the, the quickest of pauses and we already know what we're going to say. Right there, that's very powerful. And then knowing our motivation. Is our motivation to be helpful? Is our motivation to 
make ourselves look good <laughs> is our is our motivation to subtly put somebody else down is our motivation to um, have a, a connection with this person at the expense of that person what's the motivation so you can begin to see that in just a very short moment it's amazing what we can see if we just pause now one thing I'll say is that sometimes in in our um, everyday conversations, if there's multiple people in the room, if you're like in a business meeting, for instance, this was really challenging for me. It's like, well, still, still is a, is an issue for me sometimes that I like to try to pause and be reflective before I think, but um, very often there's not a gap. If I if I pause then somebody else has jumped in already. So another option, if you're in that kind of a situation, is to um, basically restate what the last person said as the kind of pause. So you could say, so I heard, this, I heard that this is what you said. And in that, in that moment, you, you may be able to use that as your pause to recognize, okay, this is what I'd like to say. Um, and this is the reason why I'd like to say it. So this kind of practice around speech, um, it, can, it can feel a little awkward at first doing that pause because it, it might seem, you know, a flow happens between two people in terms of conversation and adding a little gap there or a pause might feel a little odd to the other person. And so sometimes I suggest that you explore this with somebody else who wants to do this too. So you have a, uh, make a mindful lunch date, a mindful speaking lunch date, and agree that you'll help each other remember to pause and see what happens as you explore knowing what you're going to say before you say it, knowing the, the motivation. At one point I had this kind of a mindful lunch date with a friend. It was the first time I tried this. And um, I don't know what was going on in his mind, but this is what was going on in my mind. I would see my mind start to say something, you know, think about something to say. I'd come up with an idea of something to say. And then, and then I think, oh, that's just making myself look good. <laughs> I would recognize that it had a subtle, like, self-aggrandizing kind of... Mo- so I wouldn't say that. And then something else would come up, and I'd see, no, maybe not. And then something else, and... The- Oh, maybe not. It was amazing. You know, the first four or five things that came up in my mind all had some kind of spin to them. So, this I don't know, it was like two or three minutes of silence. So I don't know what was going on in his mind because he wasn't speaking either. But, <laughs> but, but I said, the first thing that I could say and I could say with a, a wholesome motivation is, I'm sitting here ruling out things to say. <laughs> because of the motivation. <laughs> so, so doing this kind of thing with somebody else who's kind of ready for there to be odd gaps and pauses in the conversation, I mean, it can be fun too. But it also would, will support you in beginning to be curious about seeing this and seeing the motivation, seeing the intention. So... We can begin to see through this direction of a pause before we speak or being curious about 
the moment before we move, you know, recognizing. And this, this you can play with in, in, um, uh, in your daily life to, you know, in terms of change of posture. You know, when we change our posture from sitting to standing, from standing to walking, from walking to standing, from standing to sitting, there's a reason why we do that. And that gross change of posture is a place where you might, maybe, I mean, some of you in the daily life practice retreat are exploring, seeing if you can notice you're going to stand before you stand, notice you're going to sit before you sit. And it's challenging. It's challenging because there's the, the whole motivation and intention behind getting up. It's like there's the, the whole collection and gathering of thoughts. It's like, oh, I have to go and do that thing. And that kind of gathering of momentum in the mind carries the body out of the chair without our even thinking about it. But sometimes in, in um, noticing these grosser, bigger changes of postures, you might be able to notice the intention to move before you move and notice what the motivation is. And in this, you also begin to recognize that, you know, this motivation, the reason why we do things so much, uh, (laughs) it's kind of automatic. So much of what we do in our day, in our lives, is kind of just automatic. And we think, we think we're doing things. You know, we're sitting, we sit, we sit at, a, at a computer, we sit at a desk for a chunk of time. And, you know, if you're working for a long stretch of time, you might um, find that after a couple hours, that thirst arises. And that thirst motivates the intention to get a drink. And that intention to get the drink is probably what gets us up out of the chair to go to the sink to get a drink. This all unfolds. And and one of the kind of odd things that we start to see as we begin to be aware of these urges and these intentions, it's like, I'm not in control. What happened there was that the condition of sitting for a long period of time led to thirst. The, The thirst led to the urge to get some water, that urge to get some water led to the intention to stand, to go to the sink. It's like, I didn't do that. I, I, did, I think I decided to do that, but that attribution that I decided to do that actually comes after the fact. And so this exploration around intention can also begin to point to just how much happens in our lives that is not I or me doing it. It's the processes of body and mind at work, taking care of the body. So thinking about that example, you know, the example of getting up from sitting at the computer after a while of being thirsty. You know, that's a kind of a a neutral to slightly wholesome, somewhat wholesome motivation for getting up. You know, we need to take care of our body. There's, there's a connection with caretaking there. And, um, and so that's a, that's a wholesome motivation. Um, and, and then now envision what a different experience might be if the reason... So you're sitting at the computer for a while, you're working on the computer, and frustration arises because the computer is very slow. And so 
you, uh, you decide out of frustration to get up and walk away from the computer. So that's a very different experience that's motivating the getting up. And you can maybe even just feel in your body the difference in um, the impact that that has on the system. So this exploration of intention in the moment, recognizing we may be able to recognize the, the shift of posture and what the motivations are. And now I'm not saying that if you're feeling frustrated that you should force yourself to stay at the computer. But maybe noticing the frustration, instead of jumping up out of the chair in frustration, you could say, okay, frustration, let me take a couple of deeper breaths. Let the frustration settle, and then decide, okay, the computer's taking a long time right now. I'm going to take a break. Very different impact on the mind and the shaping of experience to notice that intention of frustration and see if there can be a little shift before acting, a little shift to a more calm, kind uh, intention. And so this direction or looking at intention from this perspective is, is recognizing that what's happening in our minds, you know, motivates action. And the intentions associated with, with that tend to shape our, uh, our experience. And then the other side that I wanted to point to uh, is the side of our actions shaping our mind. So this side of um, how intention can work is more along the lines of that example where I, I pointed to taking a couple of breaths before getting up. So in that case, instead of letting the action come out of frustration directly, maybe the frustration doesn't go away completely, but maybe you can recognize, okay, yes, there is frustration here. I'm not going to try to repress the frustration. But I'm going to see if I can stand up calmly and not bolt out of my chair, out of the frustration. So this is a way of using intention. So in this case, the intention is to not act out of the frustration, even if we're feeling the frustration, it's like, okay, so I'm not going to try, I'm not going to allow the frustration to leak out of my body, leak out into action, and instead see if I can act as though I were feeling calm. Not not trying to put the calm on, to pretend like we're calm, not trying to pretend like we're not frustrated, but seeing if you can act calm with the intention of cultivating calm. So this is, this is a way that, another way that intention can work for us. So this, this direction where we act I think I used the phrase the other day, fake it till you make it. You know, it's, a, it's that kind of a, of a thing. You know, it's like we can act in order to um, move in the direction of peace, of kindness. We can act peacefully. We can act with kindness, even if we're not feeling it. 
it's really important in this kind of an exploration to not repress whatever it is we are feeling. So if we're feeling impatience, not to try to pretend we're not feeling impatient in this um, shift of action. So not try to pretend that we're feeling patient, but just see if we, it's like becoming an actor. It's like, okay, see if I can not let that impatience leak out of my, see if I can, nobody, let nobody know that I'm impatient and see what happens if I act in a more calm way. So an example, I've told this, I've given this example before, but it, I've done this so many times, but this is the first time I tried it and uh, it's just seared into my mind. And so it's always the first one that comes to my mind when I think about it, but I've done this a lot and it's, it's, it, it, it's very effective. So I was in the, in the um, drugstore and I was going through the, the aisles and putting things into my basket. And I was noticing that I was impatient. And uh, I was rushing through the store. And I was actually picking things up off the shelf and throwing them into my basket. And so I could see that the impatience was leaking out into my actions. And one of the things about that is, is when we are acting out of the, that, that motivation... Basically, we're reinforcing it. We're strengthening it. So doing that by throwing things into the basket and moving quickly, I was reinforcing the impatience. So fortunately, in the middle of the the store, in the middle of the longs, I noticed this. And it's like, okay, let's see if I can not repress the impatience. Really completely feel it. So inwardly let my awareness know, let my awareness receive and be aware of that impatience. And yet I'm going to slow down my movement so that if anybody looking at me, they would think I was in no hurry at all, that I was really calm. And so I slowed down. I started like, I just picked something up very carefully and placed it very gently in my basket and and within about a minute, the impatience had gone. So the, uh, the, the practice here is, again, not to repress the impatience, but I was cultivating that action with the intention both of not reinforcing that patience, impatience, not reinforcing the impatience, and in in cultivating patience. And so this kind of um, exploration can be very powerful. So this week we've been talking about exploring, trying on, uh, like driving down the freeway, if you're rushing down the freeway. Um, you know, noticing that rushing and maybe trying on the, uh, the intention of, of kindness or of not rushing. You know, maybe it may be that the, the, it's not that you're trying to feel like you're not rushing, but behave as though you were not rushing. And see what happens to the mind as you do that. So, hmm, we've got a little time. I'll, I'll bring one more piece in. 
another area that this um, this kind of using our behavior to shape our minds another place this comes into play is around the precepts around ethical conduct um, you know the precepts in 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 Buddhist practice, I understand to be as supports for moving in the direction of non-suffering. The precepts being refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from creating harm through sexuality, refraining from false speech, and refraining from intoxicants. And, you know, they sound a lot like what I understood to be like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not. They have that flavor. And um, in growing up as a Methodist, my relationship to the Ten Commandments was one of rigidity. It was one of, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is good, this is bad. It wasn't about exploring and understanding what was going on there. And my understanding of the Buddhist uh, relationship to the precepts is that they are trainings that we undertake because we are looking at what does it mean to not create harm? If we, if we are interested in not suffering ourselves, then it's skillful. The Buddha in, uh, in, encouraged us to behave in ways that doesn't create suffering for others. This, this, has a kind of, it, this can have a rebound effect on our minds also to, to engage like this, to... Um, to refrain from creating harm has a wholesome impact on the mind. And in fact, the, each of these precepts is paired with a beautiful quality of mind. And so it's understood that when we are refraining from taking life, we are cultivating compassion. When we're refraining from taking what's not given, we're cultivating contentment when we're refraining from um, creating harm through sexuality, we are cultivating integrity. When we're refraining from not from, from lying, we are cultivating honesty. And refraining from intoxicants cultivates clarity of mind. So the way this works, again, it's, this, this kind of cultivation of the wholesome will happen if we are interested in, uh, not just in following these to the letter. Like if, if, it's, if, you, if, we, if I'm just going around saying, I'm not supposed to kill ants, I'm not supposed to kill things, but not being curious about the motivation, not being curious about what it means to not kill the ants, then that opportunity for the... Um, cultivation of those wholesome qualities, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to happen in the same way. So an example, again, from my own practice, at one point I was really, had a lot of ants in my kitchen and um, decided to see if I could not kill the ants in my kitchen so it was a it was a long process, <laughs> but uh, you know I I um, I start the way I started was one of the first things I did was like I would see that they were all over the counters and so I would like corral them with soap, you know I I would 
you know, I'd start like, I'd make a big, a big place around, you know, the furthest out ant, and I'd like, and then I'd start working them back to where I'd seen they were coming in. So there was a little hole up by the window, and I was like, okay, you know, come, go back, go back, go back. This was a very long process. <laughs> it took a long time. Um, and so I got impatient, I have to say. <laughs> and what I started doing is I'd take a piece of paper, and I would scoop ants up on the piece of paper and then deposit them back by their hole. This went a little quicker. And then, you know, so I'd clear up that space and then I could put soap on the space and then scoop some more up. And so it, it went a little bit faster that way. So this, was, this is weeks, of course, that I've been doing this. And at one point, um, while I'm like depositing the, uh, the ants back by their entryway, um, I noticed one ant standing, and, and, and you know, well, I was, I was definitely trying to explore, you know, this intention towards what was my relationship with ants, so I was, I was exploring that, and my impatience, and I was, you know, I was watching all of that. Um, and then when I saw this, this one ant, this, there was an ant somewhere near the hole, you know how ants like come up and they talk to each other? You know, they, they meet and they communicate. Well, this ant was doing something I'd never seen an ant do before. You know, I, I really got very intimate with my ants. <laughs> Watching them, seeing how they reacted to what I was doing. This ant was standing up on the back, its back two legs. And it was scanning the environment like this. I was like, I've never seen an ant do this. And what, what I thought was going on, I mean, I have no idea what was going on for the ant, but what it looked like was alarm. It looked to me like this ant was alarmed by, you know, it's like, how did I get here? I didn't, like, you know, find my way back here. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that there was, what I saw in that gesture was alarm. And in that moment, I felt compassion for the ants. And that surprised me because I hadn't felt compassion for the ants before. I'd mostly been feeling the impatience. And so this, you know, this whole process of exploring this over weeks took me to this recognition of how what the the connection between refraining from killing and cultivating compassion is. So again, you know, we can be curious about our minds, not just trying to force ourselves to be a certain way, but, but but the precepts are really, they are kind of useful ways to engage in the world that, um, have, create the opportunity for this cultivation of these wholesome states. And so it's, it's like, okay, if I'm not feeling so generous to the ants, I can know that. I don't have to try to muster up the compassion, but I can know that and I can behave compassionately, even if I'm not feeling the compassion. And so sometimes we can reflect on engaging in these precepts through the recognition that they are a reflection of these beautiful qualities. And so 
refraining from we, I mean a lot of our day actually we are we are not engaging in unwholesome conduct you know we're not we're not running around killing people you know this is this is appreciate this you know this is actually I mean, we, we do get angry at people. I mean, I, I, this was another thing that kind of surprised me at one point when I really looked into the anger in my mind, when I was really angry with one particular person, I saw that that anger, there was some wish in my mind with that anger that that person somehow be harmed. And that was humbling to see that. You know, that that, that wish for that that person be hurt was there with the anger. And yet we can, we can look at not acting on the anger and recognize, okay, I'm not engaging in harm and appreciate that. You know, what, just, just let yourself envision for a moment what a different world it would be if every person on this planet decided right now I'm never going to kill another human being. That seems feasible to me. It's possible. I mean, maybe it's not going to happen, but all it takes is 7 billion plus of us to make that choice. And then it would be a whole different world. And so... It's not a small thing that you are engaging in the precepts on whatever level that you're engaging in with them with. So, you know, appreciate that. And in that appreciation, we can then recognize and connect with some of those wholesome qualities that come along with those actions. And so engaging with the precepts is a way in in effect to have the rebound of those wholesome qualities in our minds. So, any comments or questions or thoughts about anything I've offered? So she she asked that if the counter stayed soapy the whole time. Well, once I got them back, you know, um, I would uh, seal up the hole with a little bit of Vaseline, <laughs> and then I would wipe the counter off. For me, um, and I think this may go with patience, um, my, my compassion level goes, goes hand in hand with my mood that day. Uh-huh. So when you're noticing a mood that's maybe a little impatient, there's less compassion. 
Oh, yes, definitely. And mm-hmm. so this is a place we can explore a little bit. It's like, what might it mean? So noticing that you're impatient and noticing that that mood, mm-hmm. this is, again, this is what we tend to, to think that, and we, and we, it's like we trust that direction of that. It's like, well, I'm feeling impatient, so I shouldn't try to pretend otherwise, you know, that, that we have that belief sometimes about our uh, our minds. It's like, well, you know, I, in order to be honest, I should I should not pretend that I'm impatient. No, I do I do yeah. pretend because I was uh, you know brought up to to be polite all the oh, time. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so. But I but in but it, I, actually I'm saying this because it feels yucky inside. You know when I'm when I'm. So when you when it does feel thoughts, yeah when know? it does feel yucky inside and mm. you are acting pretending. Uh, that's the place where it's, it is a little challenging. You know, it is, it can be challenging, but, mm-hmm. but what you can explore, what you might explore there is, you know, really allowing that yuckiness, mm-hmm. you know, like it's human. Mm-hmm. I feel really yucky right now. Mm-hmm. And yet let's see if that yuckiness, instead of feeling like you're putting, pushing something in, mm-hmm. it's more like seeing if you can not let it leak out. Mm. And and see if you can just you know just what happens if you don't let it leak out. Mm-hmm. Slow your movements down and uh, yeah. Yeah, because I do move a lot faster. Yeah, slowing the movements roughly. down is a really helpful one when mm-hmm. we've got some of that impatient or uh, other kinds of uh, reactive thoughts. I think reactivity a lot creates a kind of uh, extra movements, yeah, yeah. Uh, behind you. Yeah. Um, everything you've said so far has really resonated with everything that I believe in and I cognitively and emotionally and, you know, in my body. But there is that misalignment of what I think and how my body reacts. Yes. And so I love how you said that and in the in the present moment is the gift of choice yes um and so i want to wanted to go back during the meditation when you said i heard you say choose so if you have this impulse to move notice what you're thinking and not move or what have you so i don't i mean i'm i'm a good student so I don't move, gross motor-wise, right? Uh-huh. But I sensed that my face was getting tensed. So uh-huh. I was kind of moving uh-huh. those micro-movements, uh-huh. uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then I thought, and I realized when it started getting tense, I had fear uh-huh. before it. Uh-huh. So there's always that antecedent to whatever yes. action. Yes, that's right, yes. And it's always fear for me, in any form of fear. Um, so really great to see it there in yeah. the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, and I remember just, you know, because sometimes you just end up slouching after, you know, you're sitting and you're like, oh, I'm not doing this right. So then you start to move, you know. I started to move. And, and I thought, well, what is that... What does that slouching mean? Are uh-huh. you tired? Or are you just unaware? Are you not mindful? Or are you now being mindful and you're straightening up your spine? So those are really 
I was an interesting, you know, meta yep. <laughs> cognition type yes. of observing my out of body experiences kind of thing. Yes. Um, and that's partly what that kind of right. exercise reveals because you're not, you're, you're not just automatically moving and because you're holding the body still, you have the opportunity to see what's going on in the mind that precedes the action. So that's exactly, that, that's exactly the kind of thing that I hoped you might see, that kind of the recognition that there's, there's mental activity preceding our movement. And then it goes right into judgment, right? So then I go... No. <laughs> well, so, so yeah. I mean that that right. Yes, and you'll you'll see that. And one piece I think to recognize is that um, when we explore the possibility of not acting on our habitual um, motivations, it's not it's not easy, you know. And so we have to be we have to have an overarching attitude of compassion for ourselves for how hard it is, <laughs> and and not you know. Not not judge ourselves too harshly for that, yeah. And we need to stop. So, thank you all for your attention. Mm-hmm.